All right, if you have your Bibles, please open to Psalm 56. Um, before I start, I just want to just kind of give some updates on life and everything. First and foremost, I want to thank all of you for your prayers. Uh, I think some of you know that I got COVID. Uh, and um, one of the things that was a blessing to our family was that we found out that none of the rest of my family caught it. I have no idea how that works. I am not a medical person. I am a theologian. And the theological answer is basically because God is sovereign and he protected my family in this unique way. Um, I'm not giving any medical advice. I'm just saying that's just the way how our life turned out. Uh, but thank you for your prayers. Uh, we feel fine. We've actually felt normal the last several weeks. Um, but yeah, uh, God is good and he'll always be good in that way. And uh, it's also good to be back to be able to preach to you all this um, this year. It was my first time preaching to you guys. I've, you know, I was in LA for a while and I'm thankful for all the Roger and Brian for preaching the last few weeks. Uh, they've been very um, timely messages and it was really edifying to my soul. And I trust the same for the rest of you. Psalm 56, we'll begin by reading this text and we'll pray and then we'll go into time of studying the word. Psalm 56, for the choir director, according to Jonath Elhim Reakum, a mathkatam of David, when the Philistines seized him in Gath. Be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. Fighting all day long, he oppresses me. My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. When I am afraid, I will put my trust in you, in God, whose word I praise. In God, I have put my trust. I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? All day long, they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They attack. They lurk. They watch my steps as they have waited to take my life. Because of wickedness, cast them forth. In anger, put down the peoples, O God. You have taken account of my wanderings. Put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. And God whose word I praise, and the Lord whose word I praise, and God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. Father, what we not teach us, what we have not give us, and what we are not make us. In your son's name, amen. If you're a discerning Christian, you look at the recent headlines, particularly the last few weeks in terms of our president and, and all of his executive orders, you'll notice that some of them, although subtle, seems to be neutral or non-impactful for the Christian. But if you look a little closer, you can't help but notice that there are some of these executive orders that actually go against the word of God particularly anything pertaining to sexual liberty. And it is a very subtle jab at the Christian and biblical worldview because it's essentially saying that if you don't abide by our new understanding of sexuality, we will come for you. You will be silenced, you'll be censored, you'll be canceled, whatever it may be. 
The world would charge those who uphold a biblical worldview as being part of the wrong side of, Christ, of history. And Christians, we understand that true biblical Christianity is never on the right side of history because the right side of history is defined by man. But we understand that our morality and our righteousness is defined by the word of God. Our message is offensive. Our lifestyle is confusing. Our worldview is foolishness to the world. At this very moment, there aren't any physical consequences for what we believe, but definitely the Christian is losing ground in terms of his cultural relevance, acceptance, and uh, just the, the cultural land in terms of influence that we have in the world. But I do trust as this continues on, the next stages of this might get into maybe more hostile or more aggressive. It may start by financially taking away things and eventually may become physical, but persecution is closer to us than it seems. And as Christians, it can be easily discouraging and frightening at what we see in the world. But how are we to think about this? As Christians, how should we respond in a time where Christians are hated? The theme of this Psalm, Psalm 56, as well as Psalm 57, that there is a need to trust in God specifically in the presence of immediate danger. When there is persecution, when the, when the enemies are closing in, we need to trust in the Lord. When there are dangers that are ever before us, what will naturally come out of us is fear and anxiety. How can we do what the scripture commands will tell us? Do not be anxious for anything and do not be af afraid or do not fear or be bold and courageous. How can we be resolute in our faith in the face of persecution? Where can we find safety in a time like this? You'll notice in verse zero or the subscript that I read, uh, it says that the choir master and it gives us a little bit of context that this is when the Philistines seized him, David, in Gath. This story is in 1 Samuel 21, verse 10 to 15. And this is a time where David was running from Saul. Uh, Saul wanted to kill him because he was anointed by God. He was uh, anointed by God to be his successor. Um, it says that he uh, is anointed and the spirit of the Lord left Saul and went to David. So David is supposed to be the king, but because of Saul's anger and jealousy, he decided to go after David. And David decided to run for his life and he decided to go into enemy territory. Um, David is, is, is running for his life, and out of desperation, he acts like an insane person just to live another day. And although he feels scared, somewhere down the line, he pens this psalm, and he is doing so. And as he's doing so, he finds that his emotions are being overruled by confidence in the Lord. It would be like for us if we were ran out of our own church and then the only safety we find is if we go into some cult's temple or if you were living in a state that had a particular political uh, view that's going against you and you decided, okay, I'm going to go to another state that holds to a view that's opposite of your own. Or if you were forced to leave your home country just to find solace in a place that actually hates your own country. It's being an alien in an alien land. David is royalty but he is not treated like, like it because of Saul and because of Saul's anger and jealousy. 
this song functions and there's the whole mix of emotions in this. There's lament, there's trust, and there's even an imprecatory type of prayer. Lament means that this is a psalm where he cries out to the Lord for desperate help and trust in the sense that the psalm shows David's trust in the Lord in, in, in light of his current circumstance as an sign that it's asking God to intervene against the enemies of God. All three of these themes and emotions are mixed into the psalm. David goes to God in times of trouble. You need to ask yourself, is do you do what do you do that? Do you go to the Lord when there's great difficulty? In times of great persecution and turmoil and difficulty uh, and if great affliction, where do you run to? Some of us go to our hobbies, others go to other people, and some of us just try to ignore all the problems altogether. And although these things uh, may give some type of relief or escapism, God is the best person to run to in any and every tough situation. Oftentimes, this is how our prayers are like. Right? It's, it's a mix of, of lament and trust and imprecatory, especially when we know that there are those that are against us. Some of our prayers are going to be a mix of emotions and desires, and I want to assure you that that's okay. Brothers and sisters, you're going to have these conflicting emotions, and God wants you to pray to him. God wants you to go to him. God wants you to cling to him. He wants us to go to him for our problems because when he gives us comfort during those trying times, he gives us assurance. That's how we give him glory. Go to our God. In times of difficulty, here are two ways that you can turn to God to give us comfort. So our two points today is this. First, pray to God for deliverance. Pray to God for deliverance. First one, be gracious to me, O God, for man has trampled upon me. David here is pleading for divine favor. This appeal for grace is a basic understanding that that is something he does not deserve. We may think that in our circumstances, it's undeserved, but in reality, God's grace to us is actually the only thing that's undeserved. Our situation in this life may be bad, it may be difficult, but it's actually not what we truly deserve because what we truly deserve is God's wrath and anything short of that is divine mercy and grace. And, though, and although David knows that he doesn't deserve God's grace, he pleads with God because of the character of God. He knows that God is a gracious God. David wasn't being presumptuous. He knows that he doesn't deserve divine intervention, but he prays for grace uh, the grace of God to, to come in and intervene. He has confidence in this Lord. He runs to God first and foremost. Notice the end of verse one, fighting all the day long, he oppresses me. This is David speaking about just being hunted the whole time. He's just feeling this constant oppression and this word oppress. We've, we've seen it multiple times before in the book of Psalms, is that you have just being squeezed and being um, feeling incredibly amount of pressure in your life. And this is tremendous. This is a tremendous amount of force by the enemy that's being applied to David. He feels the overwhelming amount of force that's weighing in on him day and night. Although this image does seem like hyperbolic to the reader, it actually was happening to David. Remember, David was always on the run. He's sneaking around, acting like a madman. He's hiding in caves. He's doing whatever he can to survive. Verse two: My foes have trampled upon me all day long, for they are many who fight proudly against me. David continues to explain his predicament here. The word trampled is not necessarily physical. In fact, the word could just mean to pester or to be a nuisance. Um, in other words, they 
not only attempted to physically attack him as it said in verse one, but they are also trying to verbally assault him. What's interesting is that David wrote this without technology like we have today. So the way that people slander him, it's probably people actually saying things to him or they're waiting for the opportunity to see him. Then they, and then they, you know, they make fun of him to his face. Uh, there wasn't any people that like hashtag and, and retweeting things or sending a direct message um, through the phone or whatever, but they are saying this to his face. And perhaps as a side note for some of us, if well, the best way to stop being pestered in a digital age is to simply get off of the digital like medium, whatever that may be, just delete it altogether. That will save you a tremendous amount of stress. Um, anyways, continue on with it. For they are many who fight proudly against me. The enemy's activities are seen as proud. They think what they're doing is right. And I imagine these individuals are like high-fiving one another and cheering each other on as they attempt to ruin David's life. And isn't this exactly just how our culture is today and their attitude towards Christians? Oftentimes you see the biblical view as portrayed in the internet as, as being backwards and uncivilized or alt-right, or as I mentioned earlier, on the wrong side of history. These statements are often spoken to, uh, to us by those who hate God and view themselves as being on some sort of moral high ground. And some groups that are very anti-Christ proudly and unabashedly mock Christians and Christ, and um, especially to Christians, for holding a biblical standard of morality. Now we understand the Bible teaches us that they hate us, not because of anything that we're doing particularly, but because we worship God. They hate him first, and that's why they hate us. They can't get to Jesus, so they want to attack this church. And for all of you here, whether you're working and you're going through your career or you're still in college, at some point you will have to face this. You're going to have to draw a line between what the Bible teaches and what the world believes. Standing up for biblical truth will make you marginalized. And how you conduct your life is going to draw, draw enemies of God to you. Second Timothy chapter 3 verse 12 tells us indeed all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's scary as depressing as this world seemed. Look at how David responds to these types of attack in verse 3. When I am afraid I will put my trust in you. David trusts in the Lord. Notice that this word in the beginning is when. The, this word is important because it describes any opportunity where he, he gets when he feels fearful or when he gets afraid whenever the situation becomes difficult and fear creeps up on him he decides to not be afraid but to place his trust in the lord he actively chooses those moments to remember god he says when he is when he is afraid he places his trust in the lord this word afraid is actually not just afraid in a singular moment but something that is ongoing so putting all these words together basically it means that whenever the opportunity fear comes his reaction is to actively trust in God. David confidently relies on God for protection, and therefore he is not afraid. This does not mean that the problems evaporate or disappear. It just means that we have confidence in the Lord who is in control of all affliction. The situation doesn't control you because you know that God is in control of the situation. Verse 4, in God whose word I praise, in God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What can mere man do to me? His assurance is in God's word. He praises God's word because God's word reveals to David who God is. 
this word praise can mean to boast or to speak confidently of. He's speaking confidently of the word of God. He boasts of God because it was revealed in his word. David is referring to the Torah here. He looks to God's faithfulness and the covenant promise that he's made throughout the first five books in the Bible. He has no other option than to trust God fully. He sees God's word. It comes to mind and he's moved by God's word. He trusts in the Lord. Notice he says, I shall not be afraid. Um, this is familiar because this is the exact same phrase that shows up in Psalm 23, another psalm that David wrote. And in that psalm, he talks about how because God, he's a good shepherd, he will never be afraid. This is a confidence in God which keeps him from being overwhelmed by fear. When you engage God's word, especially during the times of trial, does it keep you from feeling overwhelmed? Again, some of us in times of great distress will spend more time reading and watching the news instead of meditating on the true good news that is found in scripture. When we see how COVID ravages a city, we try to find articles to keep us stable over the situation instead of going to God that will ground us in him. When we look to our bank accounts and we see how the money is slowly drying up because we've lost our jobs, do we fret and become depressed or do we act faithfully in finding a job, but ultimately we trust that God will provide for our daily needs. There's a reason why Jesus speaks of you know, the parable of the two foundations. Many of us are moved to tear because we haven't truly placed our hope in the solid ground, but we've placed our hope in sinking sand. If you truly believe and trust in God's word, you will, you will conclude the way that David will conclude. And that is this, what can mere man do to me? This is a good question. It's a logical conclusion that if you trust God, the God of all creation, you will not fear man. In fact, this word man here is mere man in, in the nasty. It basically just means flesh. Look at mere flesh, people that are finite and are created. What are they able to do to us if God is going to protect us? God who created all things. Why do we fear the created instead of the creator? There is nothing that mere man can do to the believer because we belong to the Lord. This must be great encouragement to us and give us great confidence in Christ because as we live in times where it seems like things are getting harder and there's a greater antagonism towards Christianity, we need to remember the hope that we have in Christ. Romans chapter eight, it's a very familiar passage to most of us. Romans chapter eight, verse 37, it reads this, but in all these things we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depths, nor any other created things will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul here just speaking of the totality of things that can uh, threaten us and hurt us, but yet it doesn't matter because none of these things can separate us from the love of God. There's assurance for us Christians that God will protect us in ways that mere mortals can do nothing about. The scripture reveals that reveals to us that God is who he is and the promises that he, which in this sense moves David to not be afraid in those trials and crises. And the same comfort and assurance that we have is the same comfort that David had back then. David lays out, uh, lays out what his adversaries are doing to him. Verse 5, all day long they distort my words. All their thoughts are against me for evil. This is this idea the enemies are, are twisting are twisting David's words. They bend it. They distort it. 
they twist his word as part of the plan to ruin him. Again, we could see there's a natural application in our life. In the age of social media, it doesn't take much for people to misrepresent you or to overreact to things that you say online. You can put a tweet, you can put a picture, anything about uh, that's just morally based on the biblical worldview, and people can distort that and say things about you. Christians are going to have to be mindful that people will misrepresent you because you represent Christ. Be prepared for people to turn your words against you, even if it's biblically accurate. You'll be called a bigot because you hold to God's standard of sexual morality. You'll be called, you'll be called or canceled just simply because you believe in two genders. Your actions and words will be viewed through the lens of their morality and will be labeled and marked out. And you will be labeled and be marked out for your faith. Notice that David continues, right? All their thoughts are against me for evil. These people are planning and scheming uh, against David. They, their intent is to harm David. Their goal is to hurt him physically, ruin his character, and torment him mentally. And if possible, these enemies of God will attack from all angles just so that they can break David. Again, in our day and age, don't be surprised if this is the case for us. The tighter you hold on to truth, the tighter the grip of persecution will be. Verse six, they attack, they lurk, they watch my steps, and they have waited to take my life. And all these three attack, lurk, and watch, it's this ongoing onslaught. David here explains and describes the relentless intent of those who hate him. This word attack is basic, basic understanding, physically attacking. Lurking means to stalk them, to, to follow them wherever uh, he goes. The enemies of God are taking any opportunity and waiting for the right time to strike. And lastly, they, say they, watch, they watch my steps. They are monitoring him. They're watching his every move. And it says in David, right, as they waited to take my life. The persistence is intentional because they want to end David's life. Verse 7, because of wickedness, cast them forth in anger, put down the peoples, oh God. And this is where the imprecatory comes in. He's asking God for grace and wants God to bring down the enemies. This is like saying, okay, God, this is what I need from you. He's petitioning for an extra measure of grace by asking to deliver him. Uh, he's praying that these people will be brought down or, or be stopped by God. They're acting with arrogance, but God will level him. That's what he is praying for. It should be noted that as Christians, we understand the basic understanding that justice doesn't belong to us. Vengeance doesn't belong to us. Although we are hurt as Christian, it is mainly hatred towards Christ that draws the attack. Romans 12 reminds us that vengeance belongs to the Lord. That means we do not fight back. What makes the Christian unique and distinct from the world is that we don't fight back. We trust that the Lord will deal with them according to his timing. Now, but there are things that we can do. We can pray first and foremost for their salvation. Uh, we wanna pray for those who hate us to come to saving faith. Um, that's the right thing to do. Um, during the early church, there was, there was Nero and Paul tells him to pray for your leaders. Pray for them. That's something that we need to do. Those that persecute us, we want to pray for them because they are lost. They're doing whatever they want um, because they hate the Lord and there's judgment for them. So we should be praying for the salvation. Second way we should pray is that we pray for our own deliverance. There's nothing wrong with that. We can ask God to pray for our opportunity to escape, to, to flee, to move on to somewhere else. And this is what we see in the book of Acts, right? The book of Acts. There were some people that prayed for strength and they stayed, and other prayed for um, opportunity to escape, and they did. 
you want and it's, there's nothing wrong with that sometimes we think oh we need to stay stay and fight and that's I mean, that's good if that's what the lord calls you to and then by fight i don't mean like physically fighting i mean just to represent christ in the area that you are and other people they think okay the lord is going to move me i feel the lord calling me to somewhere else and both of them are okay both require faith and both are can be honoring to the lord so you want to pray for deliverance third and lastly is that if they don't repent if they don't repent then pray that god's justice be enacted to its fullest because god is ultimately the one that is offended it may seem uncomfortable for the modern Christian to pray that God will judge them, but understand that this is the righteous prayer for God to, to keep his holiness and word intact. All of us are sinners and deserve judgment. If someone chooses to reject the grace that God has offered, uh, then they must receive God's wrath because not judging sin would contradict his character. So for us, we may not know which of the, our enemies um, will become fellow brothers and sisters, um, or which we hope they, they will come to saving faith. But we also know that if they reject God, then God needs to deal with them. He will. And in both circumstances, whether they come to saving faith or they get judged, we can rejoice. We don't know who is going to repent or not, but we can rejoice knowing that God's kindness is in, is in saving them. And at the same time, there's God's righteousness and goodness in destroying them. So when we pray for them, we should be praying for their salvation. We should be praying for our deliverance, or if not, of a third, we pray that God will ultimately do to them what God deems is right, which is judgment, if these people don't repent. David here, notice, he never laid a finger on those who hated him. David never schemed or plotted against evil, against those that have done evil towards him. David just went to God and trusted in God for deliverance. This is where we are to operate in a world that hates us. Again, we must be in constant prayer. We pray to God for help and deliverance, but we never take actions into our own hands. And due to our fallenness, we have a natural tendency to either overreact or not react enough when it comes to sin. But God in his perfect timing will deal with the enemies perfectly. So continue to trust God and pray for his deliverance, whether that deliverance come in the salvation of those enemies or deliverance in the physical sense now or moving around, or just pray that the Lord will do to them what uh, is needed um, to keep you safe. Or if not, then just pray that the Lord will deal with them um, according to his will. So during times of per persecution, not only do we need to pray for deliverance, but we also need to praise God for his promises. Our second point is that we need to praise God for his promises. Verse eight, you have taken my account of my wanderings, put my tears in your bottle, are they not in your book? This shows the base, the basic under or basis of David's confidence in God. God knows what is going on in the lives of his people. God is not oblivious to the suffering of his subjects. God is not unaware of the pains of his people. God has complete knowledge of what is going on. And this is obviously a, a poetic way to describe God's knowledge. There isn't a literal bottle that God has somewhere that just like, like okay, I'm gonna take his tears. Um, or, or there's no actual book that, he, that needs to be written down. This, this is just a way for us to understand, to grasp with how close God is to us. Although he may seem far and he's invisible, we can't see him. He's actually close to us. The New Testament tells us that the Holy Spirit indwells in us. Galatians tells us that Christ is living inside of us. So it's a picture that it's supposed to be worth more than a thousand words. It's designed for us to see the loving and tenderness of our God, that he actually cares about you and I. 
nor again, there's no actual book in order for us to, in order for God to know what's going on. There's aren't like just tomes of books all over the place. It's like writing and it's like, okay, okay journal entry number 17 on so-and-so, oh, he is suffering. Okay, next page. It's not like that. You know, we do that. We have these journals that write down uh, things like our sermon notes or personal reflections and the ways to remind ourselves of God's faithfulness, but God doesn't need those things. But this is just a picture for us to know that God cares for us. David's pain and anguish that caused him to wander and run for his life are all known to God. This portion of the verse is to highlight that God takes special notice for all those that are suffering. You know, what a friend we have in Christ here. He knows all of our troubles. He knows all of our pains. And that one moment of suffering escapes his eyes. He knows. And this should give us great, a, great, a great desire to know him, to place our trust in him, to find assurance in him. The one that is there keeps tracks of all of our sufferings. God will act according to his timing. Look at verse 9. Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. This is the basis of David's confidence in the Lord. When David calls upon the Lord, he is certain that they will turn back. Look at verse 10 and 11. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise. In God I have put my trust, I shall not be afraid. What shall man do to me? There is a similar idea in these two verses that David has trust in God's word. And there's something unique here at the end of verse 11. And he asks, this is a very familiar question. He asks, what can man do to me? What shall man do to me? Uh, again, it's the word man here is different than the one that says in verse four. Verse four says, what can mere man do to me? And this one is, what can man do to me? The difference is that um, in verse four is the idea of flesh. But in this instant here in verse uh, uh, this is in verse, I lost my train, uh, lost uh, verse 11, sorry, uh, the difference between verse 4 and 11 in terms of man is that the verse, the word man here in verse 11, it speaks of just the humanness of a person. It's a word for human. The difference that David is trying to make here is that while flesh does focus on the physical show the frailty and limitations of the enemy, the second word here focuses on the temporal nature of man, meaning that man is finite. They are dust and ashes and they'll return to dust. This shows us that the enemies are mere mortals. Uh, what David's trying to say in both of these verses using these two words are to say that his enemies are limited in their ability and limited in terms of the times they have left on earth. This is all to contrast the infinite power and the eternality of God. How is David so certain about this? Because he looks to God's word. God's word reminds him of his attributes of God he, he trusts in God more than he fears man. He knows that God is on his side. Uh, whatever these enemy plans are doing, it will not last. And, and David understood in his heart through the word of God that he has nothing to fear, nothing that will cause him to feel afraid or scared. The enemies can, can't do anything. They can't take away his joy because he knows definitively that God was for him, that he would make all things right. Verse 12, it says, your vows are binding upon me, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. David remembers the promise of God that he makes to him in particular. And this is a, the natural reaction to remember these things is to do, do a thank offering. In the Old Testament, a thank offering is it's almost like a free will offering. It's designed specifically to praise the Lord. It's not mandated. It's not like a covering of sin. It's just to say, thank you, God, for 
or providing for me and protecting me or whatever it may be. It's a free will type of offering that you give to the Lord as a way to say thank you. And you'll notice in the language here, he says, I will render. It seems to indicate that he is so certain that this is going to happen, that he's already under obligation to offer a sacrifice to the Lord. He is so confident in God's deliverance that he is already celebrating. We have a Super Bowl this weekend, and uh, sometimes, not just the Super I don't know what's going to happen in the Super Bowl this, uh, this Sunday. I don't, know who, I don't even know who's playing, but... And sometimes the sporting events, you know that at the last like minute or so that the other one, the winning team can be so dominant that they're already celebrating before the time runs out. In the last minute, they're, you know, they're like taking off their gear and they're like pouring Gatorade on each other, high-fiving each other. And the, even the other teams like leaving the, the field or you know, the arena is like, okay, it's over. But there's still time left. And they're so confident that they've got this in the bag that they're just celebrating. And that's what David's trying to say here. That's the flavor of what's going on here. David's saying that I'm I'm going to offer a free uh, I'm going to offer a thank offering because God is faithful. Understand that this is for us too. Even though everything in this world passes away, the moment Christ rescued us from damnation, we win. We win at the very end. We may have terrible first quarter, but by the end of the game, the devil and all their schemes will get the L, the lost. Uh, you'll notice that all in all these three verses, there is an emphasis on looking to God through his word in particular, is placing their trust in God because of the promises that are in his word. Again, in this context, what David had in his mind or he's thinking about most likely is the Torah, but he knew all the promises that God made to his people in general, and those promises are great and good to cling to during times of trouble, but I think there's more to that than just the Torah. More importantly, there were promises that David kept in his heart that were directly related to him? What promise could he have held on to that would give him such great confidence? Well, that is that David was going to be king. God told him through, Saul, through Samuel that David is going to be king. Remember how in the beginning I, I said that this whole event um, was in 1 Samuel 21. Well, in 1 Samuel 16, David was already anointed king. And this was all even before he killed Goliath. 1 Samuel 16, verse 14, said that the spirit left Saul and came upon David. This means that David knew that, um, that he, will, he, will, he will be a king someday. At one point in his life, because God is faithful, he's going to be there. He will not be made a liar. God will not be made a liar. And it's those moments, those desperate times, he digs deep and remembers the promise that God he made to him specifically. He knows that one day he will rule Israel because God said that he would. And, but in the meantime, in this immediate trouble, he remembers God's promises in the past, which gives him confidence in the present. And you have to think, what are the promises of scripture that has that we have as Christians? In our devotional time, we understand when we read the Bible, yes, there are some eschatological things, like we know that there's going to be a new heaven, a new earth. There's these big type of promises that have yet to be seen, but there are also promises that are personal, that are directed to us. Do you know that the Bible's written by God for you personally, and the promises are actually for you and I specifically. They aren't for the super Christians in the church or, or the mega pastors in the world. There are promises and scriptures that are for every single one of us individually. If you think about Matthew 28 in the Great Commission, uh, it's a familiar passage. You can be make disciples of all nations, and he promised them that they will never leave him until even the end of the age. There's promise that God will be with us always. That means that we're, whenever you do evangelism, there is no need to fear because Jesus Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, 
is with us? How can we be afraid to share the gospel with others when we know that Jesus is, that we're partnering with Christ in evangelism? Or in 2 Corinthians 1, when God tells us that, or, um, or Paul writes that God is the God of all comfort and will comfort us during those very trying times so that we are able to comfort others with the same comfort that he has given us. God has divinely placed difficult circumstances in your life so you can depend on him, which will give you comfort and wisdom so you can one day minister to others who need to be strengthened by the same strength that God has given you. Do you believe that in your difficult circumstances that God is trying to train you, to equip you to do, to do more for him? For you, some of you that are struggling with singleness and part of the reason why you might be discontent is that you don't truly believe that God knows what's best for you. 1 Corinthians 7 speaks of the preciousness of singleness and how you can be used by God in a very unique way. Be thankful that you are in the circumstances that you, that you are in. 1 Corinthians 7 tells us, lived as you're called. If you're not married then, and you're single now, be thankful for the opportunity, the privilege to represent him because you have more time. And that's what Paul talks about. You don't have to worry about certain things. Um, you can do more. Do you believe in the promise that God can actually use you in a mighty and unique way in this period of life? And there are many promises in scripture that are for us specifically. Do you believe in these promises that God has revealed in his word, that they are for you for such a time like today? The more you know the daily promises of God, both in terms, again, the immediate and in the long term, the natural result is to have confidence in God and to worship God. This is what David is doing right here. He looks to God's word. He trusts in God's word. He continues to hope in God. Verse 13, for, I have, for you have delivered my soul from death, indeed my feet from stumbling, so that I may walk before God in the light of the living. David is certain that God is able to fulfill his vow, which causes him to praise God. This is hope for future deliverance, but is loaded with present day assurance. David is completely confident and convinced uh, that he is writing here as if God has already fulfilled it. God protected David's feet from stumbling. Perhaps this is referencing to earlier about how the people are watching him and are targeting him, yet he doesn't fall. David then ends the psalm by expressing the reason why God kept him from stumbling and dying. He said that so that he can walk before God in the light of life. Walking in the light of life just simply means to walk before present to live a holy life to have a vibrant relationship as he just goes on in this life our hope in god our assurances in his rescue and our confidence in god's word must move us to praise him and to continue to live in light for him we must always be people to praise him for the promises that he's given us and as believers there there are that are in serious crisis particularly when it comes to the enemies of god wanting to take our lives um, because of who we worship, we have to understand that first we need to uh, pray to God for deliverance and praise God for his promises. These two are just ways in which we can be praying to the Lord. We want to pray for deliverance. We want to pray that those that are attackers will, will hopefully be like Saul in the New Testament, that we will become a, a, a builder of the church as opposed to a destroyer of the church. You know, we want to pray for those that oppress us because we want them to have, come to saving faith and at the same time we want to pray for deliverance and, and you know if the Lord wants to move us somewhere he, that he will protect us in a very unique way as he did in, to all Christians in all time and it tells us in scripture that Jesus said that, uh, that he will build the church and not even the gates of Hades will be able to destroy the church 
And how he does that is going to we're going to be amazed at his providence and how he does it. And then we can praise the Lord for it. Or if 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 we were to be killed, if we were to be uh, destroyed for our faith, that we pray that you know that, that justice will be done on them, because we want God's justice to be uh, to be demonstrated. And we can praise and worship the Lord because of that in eternity. And the other response that we should have in our prayers that we pray. We praise God for his promises. In our prayer, we should be thanking God for all the promises given us in our daily life. The fact that he gave us, he gave us his word to, so that we can read every single day, so we can meditate on the truth and these little promises about assurance, whether it's like um, not being anxious or the Lord's always going to be with us or God's give us the right things to say those times where we need it the most. And these are all things that God has promised us. And that's because the Holy Spirit in, dwells in our life. These are all areas in which we can praise God for because he promised all of these things and it will happen in our life even to today. So brothers and sisters, please pray for deliverance and at the same time, praise God for his promises. In this time where there's a lot of difficulty, um, the only resource we have is found in God's word and there's so much in God's word that reveals us to us about who he is and it can cause us to not fear the way David was like during the time when he was suffering. Let's close our time in prayer. Father God, thank you for your word. We know that there are moments in our life where we we do struggle in our faith and doubt. Um, we doubt you for your goodness and we ask for forgiveness in those areas. Oh Lord, may we always be mindful of your word. May we cherish your word in our hearts daily. We know that your word will not return void and that it is intended as a means of grace to be able to sanctify us, to make us um, holy and to make us uh, equipped for ministry, to be able to care for the lost and to um, love those who even hate us. Because we understand, Lord, that we were once haters of you too, but because of your grace and delivering us, uh, we are in the right relationship. Give us confidence that can only be found in your word and, and only in your word. May we constantly praise you for your promises. And may we, uh, during times of difficulty, pray even for deliverance, Lord. We know that whatever happens is for our good and for your glory. Be with us this weekend as we seek to live a life that's pleasing to you, that you get all the glory. Praise you in your son's name. Amen.